All right, everybody. Let's get going. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Luke. I'm one of the Chalos directors. Hi, guys. And I have the pleasure of working with up-and-coming cabin leaders with Jada. And it's been, it's been an absolute blast to do that this summer. Um, look, guys, I want to get right into tonight's question because I think it's a really important one. And I think that there's a lot to unpack out of this. And I think there's a weight to it that if we don't address this question, do I really need God every day? We're missing something. And I think we're going to be missing something that's essential for how we live our lives, how we relate to one another, and how we walk with God. And so I kinda, I've been wrestling with this myself. What, what does it mean to need God? Do I really need God every day? To what extent? I, know, I grew up in Sunday school, so I know I need God to forgive me of my sins and punch my ticket so I can go to heaven. But what about, what about other ways? Do I need God to supply my needs? Food, water, shelter. Do I need God to help me ace that math test that I'm struggling with and didn't study for? Is God like a car? He gets me from point A to point B, and then when I'm done with him, or when I don't need him, I can do whatever I want. I can live my life, but then when I need him, when I, I can call on him and he can take me to where I need to go and then I can go somewhere else. Or, is God more like water? That without him, if I'm not consuming him, if I'm not spending time with him, I'll die. I'll literally stop existing. I'll, I'll cease to, to live. Is that the extent we need God? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. This is a bit of a a, a bit of a challenging, this is a, a pretty challenging passage to wrestle with, but I think it answers our question, do we really need God every day? It's Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. I'll give you a second just to get there. And within the context of this passage, Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching to his disciples. He's been teaching the people who grew up in the church. And he's teaching them what it means to be a follower of him, to know him, to love him, to cherish him what that looks like practically in how we, we, in how we do marriage, in how we love God, in how we live our lives. And then he gets to this, this story, and it's a parable. It's a simple story that's used to illustrate a lesson, which is what parables are. And it says this, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, who was covered in sores and longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And even dogs came to lick this Lazarus's sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross from over there to here. 
And the rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Challenging passage. Jesus is talking, we get a glimpse of a, of a place called hell. We get a glimpse of, of, of what it looks like to be there. And with parables, this is a lesson for all of you to take home. With parables, we don't want to dive too deeply into each and every individual intricate detail. Parables are simply a story to illustrate a point. So we don't want to push it too far, but we do need to understand that there are details here that Jesus has very intentionally left in for us to look at and to observe. You see, guys, I hope you become very familiar with this book. I hope you read it every day, or learn to, or strive to. I don't read this book every day. I try to. I strive to. Some days I don't. But this book is, is like, there's so much in here that leads you to who God is, and it's like a pathway to life that if you walk down it, you will find something of true and greater value than anything else. And you see, this book, the Bible paints a picture of what God is like. And it says that in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that, that God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, and the one from whom all things originate. All things. Water, clothing, food, dirt, concrete, relationships, sex, sunglasses, hats, cell phone chargers. All things originate from him. He may not have been the one who literally created a cell phone charger, but he certainly created the human mind and the materials necessary to, to form and craft that thing. And so in a sense, nothing that has been created has been created apart from him. You cannot take credit for anything you've made and say, I made this apart from anyone else. God created not only your mind, but gave you the ability to create and then created what you used to create what you created. Does that make sense? tracking with me here? And you see, this rich man that we see in Luke chapter 16, his life was filled with good things. Good things. It said he was clothed in purple and luxury. I wish I was clothed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury. It meant, all it means is he had lots of money. All right, big house, big barbecue, poolside, Netflix, entertainment, the internet. He had it all. But here's the problem, guys, and here's the thing that's, that's a little spooky about this passage, is that this man's life was filled with good things, but not ultimate things, not eternal things. This man had everything he wanted and nothing that he needed, ultimately, that being God. This man's life was full of possessions, material, um, different, different pleasures and comforts, but he lacked the only thing that mattered, that matters in eternity. And that was God. And that was knowing him and a relationship with him. He had all that he wanted but possessed nothing that he needed. And you see, now this man ends up in hell. And I know hell is a scary topic and it's a hard one to grapple with. And the Bible talks about it. And the Bible talks about a lot of things that are scary and difficult to understand and challenging and at times when I read it, I can recoil, like I, I react to, to things in the Bible where I'm like, I don't want to believe that's true or that it's saying what it's saying. But the thing is, the Bible is not scared to tell the truth 
even if the truth is scary. It's not afraid to look you in the eye and lay out what's true and what God says is true, and then just kind of say, take it or leave it. This is true. So it's on you to decide if you're going to accept it or not. And the thing is, guys, if you don't let the scary and the difficult things of the Bible push you towards God, then you're missing the point. That is the point. The point of the challenges and the hard, the hard things in God's word are to push you towards him, not drive you away from him. And so when we talk about a topic like hell, which is I don't understand fully, I'm not an expert in, it's, it's hard, but don't run away, run towards him. Let it challenge you in such a way that it pushes you towards God and not away from him. And so we see that this rich man ends up in hell, and so what does he do? What does he, what does he, what does he see? He looks up and he sees Father Abraham, who in a sense is a representation of God. And he looks up and he sees him, and he cries out to him, and he says, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus from where he is to come over to where I am and dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. And what's a little scary about this passage, guys, what should be, um, what should shake us a little bit is that this man this rich man who had everything he wanted in life, but nothing that he needed, woke up in hell, and what, was he, what wasn't there? What isn't there in this passage? Water. Can you imagine living in a place where you don't even have access to water? Every day you guys wake up and you take for granted that there's going to be food on your plate and water accessible to you and clothing and shelter. While you're at camp, you have Ben and Chantel who do a tremendous job of loving you and looking after you. And in, in the scriptures teach that there's this, this, there's this idea in Christianity called the common grace of God, okay? And that's, that's, that may not make any sense, but the common grace of God is basically teaching that God in his goodness and kindness and love and mercy and out of his grace provides commonly for all people their basic needs and gifts. And he gives them gifts, sorry. So water, food, clothing, shelter, people who love us. The Bible teaches that all those things come from him, that they're his common grace that all people receive to an extent. And so everything, anytime you take a glass of water, anytime you eat food, anytime you sleep well, that's not something that you've done or provided on your own. That's a gift from God. Every single time, every single time you fill up your water bottle, that God is giving you something. He's giving you a gift. And we often fail to acknowledge that. Whether or not we do or not, he still gives it to us, right? I know lots of people who are not interested in God, have no desire to follow him, to submit to his ways, and their life is full of good things. Water, food, shelter, clothing, money, relationships, love. God's common grace. That's just the kind of God he is. He's kind to the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the bad. And you see, when we experience God's common grace, what it's meant to do is to push us towards God, to show us that there is a God, that there is a God who loves us and cherishes us and wants us to know him. And this rich man who's in hell in this, in, in this story experienced God's common grace, but he didn't experience God. He didn't know God. He wasn't forgiven of his sin. He, wasn't, he didn't enter into a relationship with him. He didn't have his spirit come in and change him. 
And though he received all these gifts, he just threw them away. He just spent them on himself. You know, let's say, okay, so let's say for, for just for analogy's sake, that I own a pet. I don't because pets are expensive and sometimes a nuisance. But let's say I own a pet. Let's say I own a pet turtle, okay? We'll, we'll call him... We'll, ta- we'll call him Todd the Turtle. Todd the Turtle, that's his name, okay? So, <laughs> now here's the thing. Let's say, listen up, guys, listen up, listen up. Let's say I bring Todd the Turtle home, and I put him in his little aquarium, and he can splash around and swim around and have a great time. He can do whatever he wants within the confines of his aquarium, right? He can swim, he can sleep, he can eat. But can, he, can, can Todd the Turtle create what he needs to survive in his aquarium? Food. Can, he, can Todd create fresh water for him to, to swim in and live in and exist in? No. Likewise, you guys cannot create what you need to be sustained in this life apart from God. You can't. You're not God's pets. That's not the point. The point is, as hard as like, as hard as you guys can try to create or to make things that, you know, you think you've done out of your own, your own power and ability, it's not your own power and ability. It's a gift from God. He is the one who is providing it. And unless somebody above, so uh, like me, over in authority over me, comes and helps me and gives me what I need, I'm helpless. I don't have what it takes to survive this life, to survive the life to come after this life. I don't have what it takes. I'm helpless. I can't create water. And isn't it interesting how, um, how have you ever noticed that, have you ever taken the time to ponder these things? I have, because sometimes I just ponder things like this, but that anytime you guys have eaten food, it came from somewhere else other than yourself. Even if you planted a garden, were you the one who put the dirt where it was? When you guys go home is, and the fridge is full, did you guys create and provide that food? No. And we take those things for granted. And we think, especially, especially if you're from a good home, which I hope all of you are, but if you're from a good home and your parents love you, I grew up expecting that they would just give me food because that's their job, their parents. Parents feed me and provide water and love me. So when they don't, I'm like... You know, I'd, yell, I'd look at my mom and in my head, I wouldn't say this out loud, I'd be like, do your job, woman, like, just, <laughs> like, <laughs> but the thing is, guys, in life, in life, you guys aren't the creator and the sustainer of, of the things you need to survive, and so if you spend your life, if people spend their life rejecting God, turning their back on God, rebelling from God, and they do that their whole life, and then they reach a point where they cease to exist, they die, Hell is the natural place they go because they don't, want, they don't want God and what he can give. And so he simply gives them what they ask for. They ask for independence, or another word, a fancy word is autonomy from him, to be, to be their own God in the center of the universe. And that's what you get. That's what this rich man got. He got what he desired, in a sense. To not be dependent on God for all things. And what that meant was, he ended up in hell where there is no water. It doesn't exist. It's not there because God's common grace has pulled that away. 
One, one writer says this. I really, really like this. In one sense, hell can be understood as the outworking of our choice to experience total independence from God. We are allowed to be our own God and are allowed to sustain and provide for ourselves. The problem is that this is impossible, and we are thus left with nothing because everything came from his hand. And so, guys, I, I hope you take time to wrestle with the idea of hell, but you know what hell is? In one sense, hell exposes the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden, that we don't need God, that we don't need him. And hell exposes that and says you absolutely need him for everything, not just for your needs, but for your spiritual life for peace, for strength. You absolutely need God every single day. And what we see in this passage is we see if you strip God out of the picture, you are left with nothing. Because you can't, apart from him, you can do nothing. And if you think you can go through this life without God and apart from him, your life may be filled with good things, but you will miss what is ultimate. you will miss what it means to possess something of eternal value, which is God himself. And I find it interesting, you know, in the book of Job, there's this really famous verse that people love using, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart, depart, meaning when I die, I came into this world with nothing and when I die, I leave with nothing. And guys, that is true. When we're young, and I don't want you guys to constantly think about death, but when we're young, we don't think about these things that when the time comes for you guys to enter into the next life, which will come, you will go into that with nothing. And yet if you go into that with God, having known him and turned to him and loved him, you will have everything. Because that's all we need for the life that's to come. We don't need success. We don't need to be perfect. We don't need the perfect life, the perfect house, the perfect car, the perfect spouse. We want those things, and it's okay to desire those things like that. It's okay. God still has created good things for us to have. He wants us to enjoy life. But when those good things become ultimate things, that's when the problem comes up. That's where it lies. And so you see, guys, you know, it's interesting. Our theme verse comes from John 15. And John 15 verses 5 or 6, right? This is, our, this is our theme verse, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And it's true, guys. Apart from God, there is no victory. There is no life within this life that is true life, that is ultimate life. Every day, guys, we need God. We need his strength. We need his love. We need his spirit to come live inside of us, to remove sin, to conquer sin. You absolutely need God every day. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. And so here's the thing. I want to close with Psalm, uh, Psalm 103. There's a few verses from Psalm 103 that I love. And this is what it reads. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 14, it says this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, 
so far he has removed his, our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. See, so guys, the, psalm is, the psalmist is saying, God not only doesn't treat us like our sins deserve in this life, but that he, he longs to show us compassion. God wanted to forgive this rich man of his sins. But the man didn't ask for it, didn't turn to him. But when you ask God to forgive your sin, he will. And if you ask God to give him himself, he will. And if you desire to carry, to, to have true possession of an ultimate thing, the only ultimate thing, which is him, he will give it to you. And if you don't, he won't. But God knows our struggle, right? He's our, he's our loving heavenly father. He knows that um, what distracts us. He knows that we struggle to acknowledge him when we, when we need to. He knows that you guys and myself don't like receiving help from him. And yet in spite of that, he still loves us. He still shows compassion on us. He still wants to take your sin and remove it and take your life and do something with it. Do something that's of eternal value with it. And so I don't know where you guys are at. I know it's the last week of summer. I know people are, are tired and exhausted and ready to go home. But guys, there is one thing in life that you can possess that is ultimate, and that is God himself. And if you ask him for that, he will give you that. And he will show you that apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing. And we need him every day of our lives to be our sustainer and the one who carries us. So, let's pray, and we'll go from there. So, Father, I thank you for, Lord, this, this wonderful group of support staff. Lord, you know our hearts. God, you know where we're at. And God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that apart from you, we have nothing. that you are the one who provides all things and from whom all things flow. Every gift, every pleasure, every comfort. Help us to acknowledge that. And God, I pray you'd create in our hearts, Lord, that we would receive you. That we would, each of us, would enter into the afterlife. Having the only thing we need a close and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So I pray for that. Lord, watch over us. I pray that each person in this room would finish well. And I ask that you'd shower us with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.